Necessity is the mother of invention, so get ready for a mother of a ride. Gas up your laptops, your tablets, and devices, cause our asses are all quarantined inside. More and more every day, the world it feels so very far away. Less and less things to do, so pull up a chair and let us talk to you. I'm Summer. And I'm Cody, and this is the More and More Everyday Podcast. He's a fifth grade teacher. She's a historian. And this is a daily blog and interview series brought to you by the South Phoenix Oral History Project to capture and preserve the stories of students and teachers in the COVID-19 era. Welcome. Welcome to the weekly recap, now uh, renamed from Roundup to Recap, and to our awesome listeners out there, particularly Andrew and Wasim. I know you're, I know you're, cl- you know, chiming in and you're, you're listening to us today. I am so excited. I get to introduce you to one of my all-time favorite colleagues in, I've ever worked with and my partner in crime or partner in <laughs> social change rather. Crime sometimes maybe. <laughs> um, Andrea, Andrea Rivers from South Mountain Community College has graciously joined the podcast as my, um, world-changing co-host and uh, partner. So Cody, as you know, is a um, middle school and elementary school educator. He has a new job and a new focus, so he's decided to step back and be more on the production side of the podcast, and we're all the better for it because Andrea has joined us to bring her expertise and brilliance and research. So Andrea, thank you for joining us. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? And thank you. Hi, Andrea Rivers here. I am a full-time faculty at South Mountain Community College. I also am an adjunct at Arizona State University teaching writing. And uh, as Summer, I'm so excited about this project. And as Summer has already mentioned to you, um, we work well together. And it's really good and very hard to find. That's why I treasure her to get a colleague or to have someone to work with who you know is get stuff done right uh understands you understands the important work that needs to be done and you know there the and you support each other so that's you know i'm very excited about it and um excited to work on this project and excited for the opportunity thanks andrea do you when did we first start like actually collaborating and working together do you remember I yes it was the um symposium I want to say was it three years ago on uh discussing just difficult topics and you brought in um you know different you know uh, elementary school teachers high school teachers college just on those you know very difficult difficult conversation and that was um I think we had race uh, subjects were immigration, gender, um, and not that many uh, shootings, school shootings, all, you know, still happening and uh, very much a part of our daily lives. Um, but I think it was the first time we really didn't have a lot of, you know, places to um, get together and discuss these things and how these things impact our students. And I think that was your brainchild to kind of um, get that going. And I, I taught race, uh, how to 
didn't teach race, but I taught, you know, how to deal with those difficult conversations around race. And now more than ever, we see um, how important that is, uh, especially in our educational systems to be able to, to do that. So I think that's where we um, really start working together on each other. <laughs> and then since then, and then I think I was, I was working with another educator um, from Verado High School in the West Valley, West Valley. Yeah. And uh, she took another job. And then um, I was like, well, I need a partner to work with me because uh, we had to do or asked to do another presentation on discussing race. And you said, as usual, sure, how can I help? So, <laughs> we, and then from there, we just really, you know, um, started, we worked really well together. We kind of feed off each other and, um, you know, we have the same goals on, you know, on these very important issues. And um, I think that was it. And then ever, ever since then, here, you know, we've been rocking and rolling ever since. Yeah. Yeah. When we held our symposium, that was like, that was like pre-listening session, right? Like it didn't have the name listening session, but that's exactly what yeah. it was intended to do. And I think it was, and it was, I think what really impacted me from that is, wow, we got, emo I mean, we, the people, the educators that came out to be a part of that really, I would say they're true educators. Mm -hmm. They want to know, they know who are, who, you know, the students that are in their classroom, what their students need, and they want to hash it out. Mm -hmm. um, it might get ugly sometimes, but just feel safe in the environment to have those conversations. And I think that's what we, what we found. I mean, we were crying, we were laughing, we were, you know, trying to work it all out. And I, I really feel, especially in this environment, that's what we need to do. And we should not be afraid of it. Shouldn't be afraid of that clash, those clashes, because that's how, you know, we are going to, you know, make, make change, help mm. our students. And that's why we're, that's why we're, that's why we do it, right? Yeah, and so Andrea, with your expertise and your interests, um, are and also with kind of the place that the world is in right now, at least our country, um, our podcast is shifting a bit. We spent the last uh, three months focusing on educators, teachers, students, and experts and their lives in quarantine. You know, how were they adjusting to what we called the COVID nineteen era, and it was interesting because I started to see as a researcher a shift in theme, right? We started with like a lot of shock, a lot of like fear of the actual virus, um, a lot of worry about technology concerns. Um, and then by about, well, I was always driven by sort of the equity piece. Like how does this affect students from underprivileged backgrounds? How are our colleagues and friends and students who are living in unsafe homes, how, how are they gonna survive this, right? Um, where are their resources? I was always interested in these, these questions of like social and societal impact, as well as like, how are you doing personally as a teacher? Um, but right around April, like late April, I started to see a real shift in the conversations that experts in particular were having around um, the impact of COVID-19, particularly on the black population, mm. um, and the impact of COVID-19 on our very vulnerable uh, populations, students who are taking extra work to do those essential jobs, um, 
families who are coming down with the virus or a version of the vi- of, of an illness and they don't have the healthcare um, or medical support. And then in particular in Arizona, our immigrant population. So that's when you and I started talking about maybe you coming on board. And then of course in May, um, we had a major challenge to the status quo in America. Um, and that has challenged really the country to really come face to face with the racist past of of the United States and the constant and unexcusable, inexcusable violence against African-American men in particular, um, but really African-Americans and people of color. And so I knew right away I needed to bring in somebody who has a little bit of expertise in that area. and and, And you graciously said yes. So we are really shifting in tone we're still looking at COVID-19, we're still looking at life in quarantine, but we cannot divorce the fact that we are teaching and learning in a time of change, both because of the pandemic and also because of societal impacts of um, George Floyd's death and the subsequent protests. And I also see them as um, just some, both of them are, are things that have impacted the entire world, right? We see you know, COVID-19 impacted, you know, the entire world. Um, George Floyd death, we see the protests across the world. So they, they're, this period of time, they're linked, you know, people will always remember this time in 2020 where this collision mm-hmm. of change, just the massive collision, a collision, and um, so there, I, I really see them as being intertwined, you know, intertwined, um, and as a historical moment. Well, they'll always be linked together, I think. I agree. So let's talk about this week. It is the third week of June um, 2020, so the week of June 15th, if you're looking at that Monday. Um, Andrea, let's just talk about our highs and lows of this week and maybe just the recent past. What have been some highs for you this week and what have been some lows? Um, just seems, uh, I guess my, the highs are just, you know, uh, when summer hits, usually there's a low, you know, I'm, I am teaching an online course, um, a summer course, and usually there's a little low, but as you know, I like to be busy. So, you know, I guess I get what I asked for and just, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of work around, uh, anti-racism teaching, um, a lot of work around, uh, listening to our students, listening to our faculty, um, to me that that's been a, that's been a high. That's been a high, working around, doing what I love um, to do. Uh, Lows, hmm. I guess just the, you know, anytime you, well, lately, you turn on the television, there's just been one horrible event after another. And sometimes you're not quite, you know, finish morning with one and then you move into, you know, another event. So I guess just kind of, you know, having to turn the TV off, you know, and, and focus on what I feel is important and things that I think I need to do. And, um, you know, 
I think that'll help keep my spirits up to do the important work that I like to do. Man, you're right. Like the, the grief that comes in waves and part of the, part of the initial wave still hasn't gone all the way out to sea yet. So they're kind of collapsing together. I know in Arizona, we're having um, some serious severe wild uh, fires. And so that's scary and people are being, you know, moved out of their homes and we contain the wildfire and that's happening on top of um, some, I don't know, like for me, one of the highs has, of, of, of this recent um, event is the, is the surge of protesting, mm-hmm. right? The, I think that's a high, like so many people, not no one I talk to, but social media and the news, and you kind of hear the murmurs, uh, there's sort of this like negative connotation to the protests. And I think the protests are beautiful and necessary and freaking awesome. So I think it's a high. Um, I, I would say my, and I thought also thought the high, Andrea, you putting together a really cool script for members of our campus community to read um, on the research and significance of Juneteenth, which our campus is putting out tomorrow at 846 as a commemorative time. Um, and we, that was a high for me. I thought that was a really neat, a cool project. It was a cool collaboration. Um, and so I think the work that's being done in response to some of these recent atrocities has been a high. Mm-hmm. Um, but the lows, I don't know. Like, for me, it's a little sense of, of like, fatigue. There's a feeling of, I just don't know when this is going to end. You know, when we're talking about the fall and there's, like, no idea if what we're planning is even going to happen. You know, in cases in Arizona are rising. So those have been the highs and the lows, kind of the celebration of human achievement and then the fatigue of, of really not knowing how long, how much longer this is going to go on. Mm. Yes, I agree. Um, this week, uh, and Andrea, you're just starting to do some of your own research as to what we've done in the past with our podcast and our blog series. Um, but this week we published so far three, two student essays. We have another one coming out today and um, one podcast episode. We have another one coming out tomorrow. So today's, um, or yesterday's student post was written by a woman named Alondra and she described, it was written in the spring and she described how she started to realize it was getting serious. And the title of it is, this is getting serious. And it's interesting to see, because most of these essays were submitted right around April 1st. So it's interesting to see now I have a new group, group of students submitting essays, how they're they're different, right? They're, they're less in shock. They're more irritated or bored or they're adjusting at, at this point. Um, and then the other one was the essay and podcast episode feature a woman named Chandra who recently graduated with her AA from South Mountain. Woo! I know, she was in our virtual uh, ceremony. She is the first person in her, co- in her family to go to college. Wow. Um, and she has three children. She has an older, not an older, but she has a son who's, I think, high school age. And she was just, like, so excited to show him this accomplishment. Um, and she's very deeply invested in her relationship with God. And so hearing, like, the power that came from that, even though she was, you know, in quarantine, missing out on a formal graduation ceremony, her, her essay and, and episode are really powerful. Um, but you sat in on a few interviews with me uh, to get started, and now we're oh. going to 
bring these together. So talk to us a little bit about some of the interviews we've conducted so far that are not published, but are coming soon. Well, I, um, well, I, I'm going to give you sneak peeks here, um, audience, but uh, we had Guy Goodman from um, South Mountain uh, Community College, and uh, he's over the student enrollment mm -hmm. and um, dean of student enrollment. And some of the things that he talked about um, as a black man um, was just, you know, really amazing. Um, and it really, it really got me thinking about, you know, how hard must that be? I mean, I'm an African-American woman. I can, I have a black son, but to have, he talked about the struggle having to talk to his sons uh, and, and explain what they just saw, you know, um, and, you know, really him just being open and honest about his um, just challenge with and frustration with that and challenge with that. Um, I also, you know, really like when he said, you know, despite the COVID and we all had the transition and we're in homes and we're quarantined, this was a time, this, this gave him the opportunity to at family dinners to discuss, you know, this time when he said, if this had happened when, you know, he was at work, he probably wouldn't be, you know, have the opportunity to do this. So it just kind of brought his family together. Uh, I really did appreciate that. I also, you know, heard through, through our interview that, you know, he, he feels there's still, you know, there's still work to be done, work to be done on our campus, work to be done as a community. And I just really appreciated his honesty um, with that. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, Guy's interview was cool. And, and Guy's interview gave me this like insight to, um, you know, a, a colleague of ours that I've worked with and seen and been in meetings with for, you know, several years now. And I knew nothing about his life. I knew nothing. And now I do. It's amazing how, how moving and, and shaking that can be. And I think it reminds me of the, the smaller listening session you did a week ago with a group of our colleagues and just how unbelievably powerful it is to hear individuals' stories, even if they're, they're child, they have a childhood story or they have a, you know, for Guy, it was a family story in, in our interview. Um, and I hope people listen to it when we publish it because it's, it's intimate, right? There's a sharing. of I, I, Yeah. I really appreciated him, him sharing that, you know, and you know, that got me thinking, you know, we, we off, you know, that's why I, I really love this project because no one really asked us how we're doing, you know, on our, you know, we, we're trying to deal with all these things, but no one really says, you know, how are you give, you know, give people the opportunity to tell their story. And I know you do that a lot. And that's, that's, you know, that's your passion. But, you know, I was appreciative that he, you know, I, I didn't really 
really know much about um, Guy. Uh, we, you know, colleagues, um, but just to hear his story and how he's dealing with, with things, um, I think was really powerful, was really powerful and just it goes to show, you know, we need to give each other um, an opportunity to share stories, right? To share our stories and not being, you know, not being afraid to do so because that's how we learn. That's how things are changed. And that's how, that's how we sort of unite, right? And become a, a thing by Brene Brown that it's hard to hate up close. Yes. I love that. I love that. Yes. And it, and it, it's so true. It is hard to hate up close. I mean, yeah. now once in a while, it's when you have to hate, right? Or not hate, but you have to be defensive up close. Yeah. But, yeah. but in, in the case of these conversations, they, I always think about that saying, it's hard to hate up close. And, you know, I have not enjoyed being in quarantine, but I have so much more passion and respect in a way for the human beings that do the work they do mm -hmm. on our campus that I see every day. I have so much more respect for them and their humanness. I always yes. respect them as professionals. Yes. But when I hear somebody like Guy's story and Gabriella, who we also interviewed, yes. I'm yeah. endeared to them in a way that I'm endeared to my friends and family. Yes. Yes, right? Get up there. Ask more questions, not be afraid to ask more questions. <laughs> and um, yeah. that is what I'm, you know, that's, that's what I'm in, in quarantine. <laughs> that's what I'm really learning. We need to, we need to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And in some situations, when we ask those questions, we need to be prepared for the answers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, you know, we, we, we really do because only then are, you know, is change going, you know, change going to take place that there's difficult questions. There's difficult answers. You know, you ask someone a question, how they're doing, or, you know, then if you don't give them that opportunity, then when they get the opportunity, you know, have to be have to be ready for that. So I think the more opportunity that we have to dialogue with one another and just not to be afraid of, you know, the answers, what we hear, uh, that's how we're really going to grow as a side. That's sort of what I've been really, really thinking about. And I think when you and I, Summer, when we started our work with, you know, having the difficult uh, conversations about race, I think I, you know, we weren't sure we know what our goal was, but we really weren't sure how to get there. But I think it is trying to open up that space so people can have those conversations and not be afraid of the answers, not being afraid of what someone else might say, because what somebody else might say might change something mm -hmm. in the world or, 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 you know, mm. or make us understand something a little bit better, but we have to have those conversations. We can't avoid them. I think, I think you and I know that now. <laughs> I think you and I know that. Let's talk about Gabriella um, from Wheaton College. She and her colleagues put together what's called an, a Becoming an Anti-Racist Workshop. And we reached out to her to interview her, and, and we talked with her a little bit. And I want to hear what you thought of her interview, but I also want to know, because I have no idea, and I want to know if you even if you have any idea, 
Um, where did this term anti-racist come from and why is it so popular? Like, oh, Summer, I, that is exactly what I wanted to talk about. I loved, oh, <laughs> I loved her. You know, that left, and I loved our interview with her. Um, and I'm always looking for or trying to understand different terminology and, you know, the whole, you know, that just totally for me, blew the whole equity out the window. This was a new term. Um, it left me with a new way to look at the at equitable education, a new term, how to become an anti-racist educator. Mm. I like that because it just, I love that term because it just throws it right out there. Yeah. We're not hiding behind anything. We, that is, and no, we're doing all of this equity work. So we're an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. It's a term that just speaks to that. Let's not hide anything. Let's be real as educators. We're learning all of us, including mm-hmm. myself, including we're learning uh, those in the educational field and very important to learn how to be an anti-racist educator. That and is like, I loved it. I, I had never, like you said, I had never heard of that before. I'm seeing it a lot in emails. Now I see it a lot. Now I see it a lot and I love it. But right. have you, what I also like about it is it takes that, you know, that challenge of when someone says I'm not racist and it shuts the conversation down. Yes. yes. Take that challenge one step forward to say, okay, great. You're not racist. Now, how do you become, are you anti-racist? I love, yes. Awesome. It's a great way to segue out of that uh, conversation ender. Good, good point. Because we, yeah, we've all heard that. Oh, I'm not racist. I'm not a racist bone in my body. But okay, that's fine. But let's yeah. practice being anti-racist because that's actionable. That's let's practice it then. Let's spread it then. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that that I love. I, you know, where I don't know where that came from, but I really and I enjoyed. I enjoyed speaking with her. Mm-hmm. Um, she also talked about you know, how do we become anti-racist educators? Uh, How do we pass that knowledge on? When we get the knowledge, how do we pass it on? How do people, I think we talked a lot about how people receive it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's hard. You know, let's just be honest. You can't just walk up to someone who's never had to encounter with a person of color throughout their whole life and never and never had that experience that wasn't even a part of their environment and say you know how do i be i don't know i don't know even know what it is i just live in my computer i don't have a black friend i don't have you know a latino friend i don't i don't know about their experiences so just um you know i've been thinking a lot of that but i think all you need to come with is just a willing to you know willing to be open and willing to learn Mm -hmm. as an educator I feel you, it's your job to understand how to teach or what your students, every student in your class, what they need, what they need. And no matter what color they are, whatever, no matter what, you know, culture they come from, it's your job to figure out how they learn. That's, that's all. That's your job. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to do. So, um, you know, I, we, you know, we talked a lot about that. She talked about, um, you know, in her trainings, they talk a lot about uh, whiteness. Um, 
what that is. Um, Which is funny because like about 10 years ago, that term whiteness fell out of favor. Yeah, in the early 2000s. And now, and then it was like, oh, whiteness, we're not, that's another form of white supremacy to study whiteness. And now it's back. So it's really interesting. And she sort of, um, you know, to pose the question, I guess, you know, how do we understand the power of whiteness and privilege, but together, how do we do that together Mm -hmm. and understand that? And, um, you know, we, we, you know, everybody has, you know, you know, maybe somebody, you know, everybody has some sort of, you know, I have more, you an African American woman, I might have more privileges or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as a straight African American woman, I have more have a pro privilege over someone who, you know, is from the LGBT community, mm-hmm. uh, over someone who is, um, you know, uh, challenge in some way, you know, um, so it's, you know, we just have to, you know, understand what our privilege is and, mm-hmm. you know, how do, how we move from there, how we move from that. So I also, I, I don't know if this was an aha moment of the week from our special guests or if it was just from all the things that we've been doing together, but one of the things that came up several times over the week that I kept coming back to Guy was this need to draw a huge community together and to recognize the struggles of people beyond just one binary or one identity. Yes. yes. But I'm, I'm still kind of really in a place where I'm on, I'm, I'm informed by what's happening with when guy talks about, but the injustices against black men yes. are at the center of this debate right now, the center yes. of the problem right now. And it's not to the detriment of everybody else who has conflicts Good point. But I, I'm, and I'm thinking about the listening session we had on our campus where it started with the facilitator saying, let's focus on the now and not look into the past. And I am eternally opposed to that stance because as a historian, I'm like, you cannot understand oppression against black people. You have to understand. You have to understand that. If you can't take it in a vacuum. You simply can't say, well, it spontaneously happened. Like it didn't. This it's is based on founded that. on this. And I like what you just said earlier. I think you were alluding to the fact that um, whatever minor, you know, I'm saying minority, I'm at a loss of word, but um, minority group that you, you know, has definitely faced um, oppression and challenge. If right now, you know, I think in a lot of the sessions, you know, some of those issues get brought in, which is, you know, definitely things that need to be discussed. But I think with the, the recent murder of a black man, we, we got to kind of, you know, get that taken care of or get that addressed Mm -hmm. um, right now. (laughs) So it's not that you're pushing, and I hope I'm saying this correct, not that you're pushing everything else to, you know, out of the way, but it's that this, you know, we need to stop murdering black men that we just, you know, I mean, do you understand what I'm, what I'm starting saying there? Maybe you can help me out a little bit. I want to make sure. 
here, I think it's similar to the grappling. It's not like you have a, neither one of us have a statement. Like this comes first and then this all comes next. Oh, no, no, it's all, you know. It's like swimming. But this is where galvanize the, you know, the world and hopefully it's bringing a spotlight on all of the inequities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, it, it's like a big hairball. Yeah. And you, and there's no single thread to pull, you know, it, there's a slow dismantling. Um, I don't know, but it, it's one of the things I'm kind of mulling over. Yeah. It's to come to terms with right now. I don't, I don't really know where I stand. Yeah. It's, um, well, you know, it's, and it's out there. And I think we should, you know, I, that's why I love this podcast. We're not always going to say, you know, even me, you know, I, you know, I say even me, cause I don't, you know, don't speak perfectly all the time <laughs> and say all the right things, but give us a break, you know, give people a break. Sometimes they, you know, some, you know, I, I notice on tell somebody says the wrong thing. I mean, okay. They did. ask them what they mean by it, but don't, we can't get anywhere by, you know, unless we really understand each other and take time to understand what, you know, who we said this or who we said, okay, well, let's keep our eye on what's going on so we can make changes. Uh, um, you know, a lot of the ins- uh, academic institutions are making statements, right? Yeah, so, I noticed that. Uh, making statements and then, you know, let's put out something for this. Let's put out something for that. You know, I had a conversation, uh, you know, at Pepsi, Pepsi put out, you know, the, the Aunt Jemima. I, that, you know, um, mm-hmm. let's get rid of the Aunt Jemima, which I, you know, that, that has, a, we are finding that that was kind of in the works before, but then for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And then the... But then, you know, I was talking to my daughter the other day and then she's like, you know what, mom, that, you know, I, and she's a black woman. She's like, at this point, statements are good and that, but don't take, I mean, let's just, her her thing was just stop killing black Yeah. People. <laughs> That's what she said. That's what we need to do right now. Let's focus on how we can, that can happen, right? And then all of those other things that will come and change. But that shouldn't be, you know, it's good gestures, but how does that impact mm-hmm. the killing of Black men? Yeah. That's kind of, and then I had to think, you know, well, right, you know. You know, you got a point. And not to say that those gestures, those changes aren't good. Of course they are. But let's put priorities with, you know, with that. Uh, you know, I, that's kind of what I've been feeling. And, and just sort of, you know, like you said, I don't have everything hashed out. No. Um, but just some of the feelings, you know, some of the highs, some of the lows, you know, I'll, ask me something next week something might you know change or whatever but that's that's kind of the feeling and and I think it's good that we're having these you know these moments to reflect and think and say you know you know everyone wants to make it better and you know but let's kind of focus on what the true problem is you know so 
the true issue that we really need to change. It's so true. And this is a bit of an aside, but it's similar to your um, Aunt Jemima story. I graduated with my PhD from UNLV, University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And um, do you by any chance know what the mascot of UNLV is? I do not. Yeah. So people would usually assume that it's something affiliated with Vegas, like gangsters or (laughs) mobsters or something, or like showgirls. Um, And in fact, the UNLV school song is Viva Las Vegas by Elvis. (laughs) So cool. Okay. Oh, gosh. The UNLV mascot is the rebel. Rebel like a Confederate soldier and or confederate kind of cartoon yosemite sam looking kind of rebel Mm -hmm. um and there's a whole backstory as to why it's the sagebrush rebellion it has to do with the west and federal government it has nothing it it doesn't have a ton to do with the confederacy um but it's a problematic mascot and this year just about a week ago i saw that they are uh, dismantling the statue of the rebel in camp on campus and changing the mascot i don't know what they're changing it to um And it's interesting because like your daughter said, it's like, this is good, right? This is good progress. We should not symbolize and celebrate and have an entire school devoted to the symbol of the rebel. Right. But like, can we focus on maybe like police brutality? (laughs) Like, Can we we focus on the actions of human beings and go from there? But I do think they're interrelated, like cultural symbols and then the... the yeah, action. definitely. I, I, I applaud them for making the changes in there, but I don't want that to distract from what work that needs to be done. Yeah. And, and right now, in this moment, it is the killing of Black men. There's other things. You know, I was just having a conversation. You know, it, like I said, wow, I'm doing more mental stimulation, more mental stimulation mm-hmm. during this time than I probably, you know have when we were you know doing our you know um not summer and not in quarantine but just having a conversation with him it says you know for the longest we've had this you know um and he's in agreement with the uh you know Kansas City Chiefs the Cleveland Indians you know the the clearly the these um uh, uh um the Native American community has said this is disrespectful. This is, you know, yeah. Then get rid of it. You know, it doesn't just because this was, you know, I. So I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I'm just saying there's, you know, you know, right now I understand it in the forefront and the eyes and every pulse is everything. You know, let's just stop killing black men. But we, but when we start making those little other changes, let's look at just also humanity and the human race and let's do the right thing by everybody yeah yeah that's kind of what i'm hoping you know not taking away from you know the moment we have because we just talked about that Mm -hmm. but i'm for let's treat everyone Mm -hmm. with respect so with that and these things that were mulling over do you think there are and maybe there aren't specific names that come to your mind yet but who what kind of experts who should we reach out to to interview in the future um, that might help us talk through these things a little bit more well recently and I don't know how um, easy it is I'm sure her schedule is very packed but a um, I want to say a high school just had a like um 
maybe a Zoom meeting with, believe it or not, Robin D'Angelo. So oh. I don't know how, you know, and she's just really great at just, you know, saying it like it is. <laughs> I just yeah. love, I love people just say it like it is and don't, you know, um, sugarcoat anything. So um, that would be a big hope. Mr. Reyes, you know, did a really good job um, for our campus when op opening up the dialogue uh, around this particular incident. And I wouldn't mind, you know, I wouldn't mind having him come on and, and discuss, Yeah, you know, cause his work, this is what he, he does. And um, just what he sees the, you know, challenges are, you know, we, yeah. we were pretty um, vocal, you know, in what we wanted our campus, the changes we wanted made. I would love to hear uh, what he has to say. His observations. Cause uh, that's one of the things I'd like to ask him is I, I don't know if we did a very good job as a campus of identifying a path to solutions. And I don't know if that was our project, but I do think that we did a good job of identifying some pretty significant concerns. Yeah. And I'm I think curious yeah. with what he's seeing with other campuses is, is this, because one of our colleagues has said, like, she doesn't want to just talk about the problem. She really wants to focus on the solutions. And, and I tend to come from the side of like, you cannot bulldoze into solutions without. No, you got to let, what I found from all of this, and I think what we've been saying all along, you have to give people the opportunity to speak. And I thought this was an excellent, I, I really, I'm not going to say it was, you know, nothing can be pretty and per perfect and all little, pretty little bow. And there were people, you know, um, people really expressed their, their, their feelings and some things were my, maybe not said in the most civil way, but that goes to show we have to provide most, we have to provide more opportunity for those conversations first before we can move. So it's almost like you hold something in, you hold some, something in, and you don't speak your mind. And then, you know, have you ever done that? You know, you don't, you, maybe you're mad at, well, for me, I'll just speak for myself. I won't get you in trouble. You know, you're mad at your husband, you're something, and then, you know, like, oh, gosh, he's, he's you know, really irritated me. And then something he says to you, and you go, well, da 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 right? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, whoa, where did that come from, right? You know, so had you had that conversation and they let it build up or whatever, things would be a little better. So I think right now, you know, I applaud having these open conversations. We have to be as an institution, we have to be able to just take it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then once we take it, once we hear it, we have to say, I hear you. Mm -hmm. I hear you. We're working on it. Let's, let's figure out, you know, cause it, when it comes down to it, everybody wants a voice. Everybody wants to feel like they've been hurt. Now, let's be honest. You can't do everything. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to, okay, we'll do that. Okay, we'll do that. You'd have to be everything. But I think a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong, want, and there are, you know, and then there are people, you know, some people say, well, you know, they're always saying it. Well, they're always saying it for a reason. If you're always saying it, I'm going to go to you, okay, what do you feel that we can do to, you know, it's just, People want to be heard. Yeah. People have a reasonable, um, you know, opinion on something and, uh, you know, help you, you know, they can help you with the solution or whatever. But 
you know, I think, I, like you said, I think it's important. Solutions will come working together, but just letting people feel they have a voice and yeah. they, can, they can, you know, express, express themselves. But I, I do agree that we, we should try to do it in a, in a civil way. We should try to have conversations to agree to disagree, be respectful of people's opinion mm-hmm. and have and create. But it, it's all going to come with trust and trying to create that safe space where people feel like they can mm-hmm. you know, talk. And this is not going to be their only time where they're going to talk. So they're just going to go with everything. Right. They have to feel comfortable that over they can. Over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. They can come. They you know, if they if they're having a beef about something, then they can just open up. And I think. Yeah. I have faith that that, that will come. I, I, I really do. But we have to provide the opportunity mm-hmm. um, for people to express themselves and to have those difficult, you and I know that, to have those difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to, you know. Take it. Take it. Mm-hmm. I would like to interview, so we interviewed a while back a, a woman named Dr. Jean Beeman, and she um, talks about, it was fascinating because she put out a video on race and it, it was called Black, Why Black America? And it was about the impacts of COVID-19 um, on the particular black uh, population and why we need to take that into account. And so I scheduled an interview with her and it happened that our interview was like the week after George Floyd was murdered. Oh. And so our conversation really shifted. And um, rightly so. And it was really interesting. She, she just was wonderful to talk to. And she used a term called radical empathy, which I'd never heard of before. Oh. And she put me in touch with the woman who coined the term, uh, who I believe is at Rutgers, Nicole Van Cleve. Um, and I reached out to her. I haven't heard back, but it is summertime. I really hope we can interview Dr. Van Cleve um, oh. about radical empathy and how that can inform. Because I really am so fascinated about the overlaps of the social social change and protesting that's happening and COVID-19 and quarantine. I'm so fascinated how these things are, are coming together. Oh, yes. you know? So I hope we can talk with her. We have an interview scheduled in a couple weeks with Dr. Keith Catone, who sent an email kind of that got went a little bit viral about how teachers are participating in racist institutions as well, and that we need to confront that reality, um, and that just like the police, we are part of the system of, of um, racialized, I don't know if it's violence, but it is oppression, um, and so I look forward to talking with him. Oh, wow, yes. My mentor at UNLV, Dr. Todd Robinson, who is an expert in um, managerial racism, so the way cities and institutions really create policies and, and laws to leave African-American and and people of color like out right Um, and he's an expert on race and society as well so I'd love to get in touch with him because he would be especially because he's from UNLV right he has this connection now to the the rebel Um, I would love to talk with him so those are the people I'm going to kind of go for if you want to work on uh, Robin D'Angelo, that would be awesome. Okay, well, we'll see how that goes. I'm sure you she's- You have good luck with that. Highly in demand, but-, um, but And I'm sure there are other people who've worked with her that are informed by her that could be great too. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
We've talked a lot about this one, but is there anything else that is informing your worldview right now? What are some things that are kind of weighing on your mind or have we already kind of gotten, gotten into I it? I think we've, yeah, I think we've opened it up. Right? Yeah. yeah. And everything that came, maybe didn't come out the right way, but everything <laughs> in my mind is out now. <laughs> so. How about um, plugs? Where can people find you if they want to reach out and talk to you? Oh, I am at... Um, Andrea.rivers at southmountaincc.edu or aerivers at asu.edu. Wonderful. And if people want to find me, um, I run the South Mountain History website and email and social media. So on Twitter and Insta, we are SMCC History. And you can email us at historysouthmountain at gmail.com. And our website is southphoenixoralhistory.com. Now, the last thing, Andrea, is do you have any like good tools for teachers, websites, books, um, things they can use right now uh, as they're learning and improving and how to be anti-racist or how to teach in COVID-19? Mm. Well, I would start with Robin D'Angelo's book. I think there's a lot in there that um, I would start there. Mm-hmm. You know, I would start there to get a real understanding of what um, privilege is and um, how to address it and how to move past, how to move past and, and get things done. I, that would be my, my recommendation. Yeah, I've been asked by several groups because I do teach African-American history. So lots of people have said, like, what kind of books should we read? And so you and I should maybe think about putting together a like a bibliography. Yes. yes. Um, because I always 100% say ta Coates, especially right now. Coates, who wrote Between the World and Me, discusses, um, I assign it every year in my African-American history class. He discusses the um, assault on the black body. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and the narrative devices, it's a letter to his son. So he's a black man writing a letter to his black man, a black son. And that got me thinking about, because I think that writing to a son is an answer to um, Baldwin's yes. letter to his nephew. Yes. So read everything Baldwin. He's brilliant. Yes. You'll learn a lot. Just, just the history you know, just the history of oppression and the black experience, that would be an excellent yeah. um, place to start anything, anything. Being Baldwin is a national Baldwin, You know, talk I mean, about you know, about, uh, LGBTQ, being an African-American, you know, um, homosexual male, just, uh, you know, he, that, that's, that's where you'll learn a lot. I had to jump up and grab two new books because I don't know if you've read this. Um, we've mentioned three brilliant authors, two of whom are male and one is a woman. So I want to add to oh, our yeah. women's list. Um, Angela Davis, the, the oh. queen of all things. Yes. This book I read several years ago, Freedom is a Constant Struggle, Ferguson, Palestine, and the Foundations of a Movement. I think um, I urge people to read that one and then we read this in our south mountain book club and it got um it, it was a heated debate uh when they call you a terrorist a black lives matter memoir by patrice and oh. colors and asha bandele um with angela davis's forward so it that's a wow. 
I feel like that's like required reading at this point. People need to yes. read. And not too long, now, not too long ago, you know, maybe up until a few months ago, it was considered a terrorist group, right? It, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. And now, you know, we're making the shift here. So good. You know, we just have to, you know, Angela Davis, great, great. Anything that she's written or, um, you know, she talks a lot about the prison system, the inequality mm -hmm. there, inequities there for um, black males. So yeah. Yep. Very good. So, you know, just the authors, just kind of see what they've written and, and, you know, very important to helping. And then help last thing understand. is, um, you know, what are some plugs for some escapism, things that don't have anything to do with this? Good business, good businesses to visit, some movies or TV shows that you're into, books you're reading? Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I, I haven't watched it yet, but um, Netflix has, oh gosh, what is that? It's a new movie. I don't know how good it is. I don't want to say, but it looks very interesting. Um, oh gosh, my mind is going. The director, Do the Right Thing. I can't remember. Spike what? Lee? Spike Lee has a new, um, it sort of takes play, African-Americans, uh, kind of coming together in a reunion from the Vietnam War. They fought together in the Vietnam War. So it looked really interesting. You know, huh. I'm sure they're going to hit on some, um, you know, serious issues in there. So, I, you know, I, I'm going to, it's on Netflix. It just came out, I don't know, last week. So I'm going to get popcorn and, and find a, hopefully some quiet time this weekend to review it i'm gonna say review it because you know uh it you know hopefully it's good but you know um so i think i'll i'll, I'll do that so i kind of do a little netflix they have a lot of good um you know well-written uh mm -hmm. historical you know um programs nice that maybe help us with get through this time or learn a little bit more but Okay, and then I'm going to plug Eric's Barbecue, which is a new barbecue joint in the West Valley. An Indian school um, just east of, well, Indian school in like El Mirage, I think. Um, really, really good. Uh, they were closed a bit during the quarantine and they're reopening, or they've reopened for a dine-in and takeout. Okay. And they have like the best brisket. I think I've been there. Yeah, it's good, right? And they have like you put they put a sausage in on top of a burger. It's yeah. like yes, I think I've had that, like a heart attack burger or something like that. Yeah, I I will. I love that place. I'm gonna go get a gift card for my dad for Father's yeah. Day. Awesome. That's okay. that's an awesome selection. So good. All right, Andrea, this is perfect. Thank you for your for doing our first recap together. Oh, this was fun. It really was. It good. yeah. Really good. Good. I would say good therapy for me. I like it. You can find us at SouthPhoenixOralHistory.com, on Instagram at SMCCHistory, or send us an email at HistorySouthMountain at gmail.com. Music provided by Jake and Emily Speck.